Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. I am called H on this show. I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q on this show. Now, I just got back from PAX. Uh, we were recording a little bit in advance, and today is the Monday that PAX finally ended. <laughs> finally. I uh, made the foolish decision of going for all four days. A lovely show, nothing against that. It's just that. You know, I'm getting I'm getting a bit old. My old body can't handle this. And so right now I've got a bad case of the pack sniffles, which, you know, I hope won't be coming through on the show. But I also have a lot of excitement because I saw a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, it always gets me real riled up to see this kind of inventiveness. I'm really excited. I'd love to hear some of the good, good stuff that you saw at PAX because it this weekend for me was 107 degrees. Actually, <laughs> inside my apartment, it became 101 degrees uh, at one point. So I just had to like basically live at a Panera Bread for a couple hours. <laughs> so yeah, give me something good. What what should I be buying in the next year? I don't want to list this as like my top game of the show or anything, but one thing that really stood out to me when I saw it immediately, I thought, oh, this feels exactly like a playwright type of game. <laughs> there was a game called Kaleidolot where you play as uh, multiple hovercrafts, all of different colors, and there's this kind of intricate rail system all around the screen. It's kind of a top-down uh, perspective. Oh. But basically, as you ride on these rails, you hold the right trigger to grind on the rail, kind of Tony Hawk style. You grind on the rail and dye the rail your color. And you're basically trying to hit like 45% of coverage of all of the rails on the screen. And there could be up to four players at a time, all competing for whatever percentage the goal is at the time. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's neat because you can bat the other cars around. You can get off the rail and, and go between them or try to, you know, ram somebody who's winning and try to recapture their territory. And there's there's little areas that are kind of a smaller circles, harder to, to ink to use Splatoon terms, more intricate. And so, you know, those areas I found it was really advantageous to dye your color earlier so that when the uh, when the battle became more chaotic and fast-paced later on, you know, people weren't really bothering with those and you can kind of keep them your color for uh, if you get them early. So it really felt like the kind of thing that we develop here. And I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we should track down the creator and get him on the show. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really Yeah, it seems cool. like a cool thing to do. Uh, there was also a fighting game called Coffence, and <laughs> it is a coffee-based fighting game. Oh, I was thinking it was going to be a <laughs> coffin-based fighting game, which is equally amusing to me. That would be cool as well. I feel like I'm a character in a coughing-based fighting game right now, but that's just me being a bit under the weather. <laughs> the point of that one is that you are, uh, you know, two characters in a traditional kind of Street Fighter style side-on fighting game, but you're both holding a cup of coffee, or you're both holding separate cups of coffee, rather. Oh, this is already very good. Those cups of coffee are on, like, strings, 
uh, kind of like yo-yos so you can like sling them at your opponent any which direction like it's all uh it, that is done with the right stick so you have that kind of like twin stick shootery type of feel to it as well as well as your normal kicks and punches and slides and jump kicks and everything like that hitting the opponent doesn't really matter that much you're trying to hit their coffee cup and that sends one splash of their coffee flying into the air in slow motion that you can uh you can try to grab out of the air and they can try to recover it as well. Oh. And so the the goal of the game is to drain your opponent's coffee cup of all of its coffee. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're down at zero points. You can even drink a sip of your coffee, which reduces one from your HP, but it gives you like a five second boost of speed while your opponent is stuck in slow motion. So it can really turn the tide of the battle uh, if you know what you're doing. So it's a really clever fighting game. I, uh, I really like the time that I spent with it. I think it's an early access now. So those would be my recommendations. Uh, I don't want to say that they're going to be the absolute best games that you've ever played before, sure. but uh, if you want to see something new and innovative, then check out collide a lot. That is C-O-L-L-I-D-A-L-O-T, all one word, and uh, Coffins. That is really, really cool. I, You're right. They both sound like, what, together, Coffins <laughs> and Collide a Lot are definitely an episode title for one of our, our shows. Yeah, so we can pretty much just wrap it up here. <laughs> Th- thanks for coming, everyone. <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap. And... <laughs> that was our pack special. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. So I'm going first today, and I've got something that I think you'll like. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Splatoon over the past few weeks. Yes. And I, I think I teased on a previous episode. I don't remember if it was on air or in a virtual green room before or after the show that I have less of a full game pitch and more of a like a different mode they could introduce into Splatoon. I was thinking about... Uh, you know, what else could you do with that formula? Because Salmon Run, I feel, uh, really kind of came out of nowhere and turned out to be really, really fun, really impressive. And it showed that this formula that they created, which seems kind of one note reading about it, actually had some legs and uh, some versatility available Hmm. to it. So I, I was really impressed by Salmon Run and I thought, you know, what else can we do with Splatoon? So what I was thinking is a reverse Splatoon. Instead of spraying ink everywhere, you're playing kind of the cleanup crew. And so you're in an already inked area, and basically you just suck up the ink in like a vacuum, and at the end of the game, the team with the most ink wins uh, collectively. And what you can do, you can choose to, kind of like Coffins, actually, this this works out well. (laughs) You can choose to use some of the ink that you've sucked up to splat your opponents just like in regular Splatoon Uh, but of course you know you are putting that back out on the battlefield and so if you're a bad shot then they can just kind of stand back and vacuum up everything you're throwing at them so you could be giving them free uh, free uh, ink really Uh, so you have to be careful about that it's more of a risk reward whereas in Splatoon if you miss your shots then you're still you know inking the ground and so you're good to go yeah but it adds a different wrinkle because there's a limited amount of this available and so you know you're not out there just covering the same ground over and over again like you're really trying to utilize your movement to get in there quickly find the ink that's in those hard to reach corners and uh, and once it's gone then it's gone unless you unless you splat your opponent 
But anyways, let's uh, open the door on that and see where we can take this reverse Splatoon idea. <laughs> well, I think uh, in our same virtual green room, I love how much this tickles OCD, which of course yeah, is yeah. get get everything clean, clean, clean. I'm curious as to, do you see, you know, so much of what I enjoy about a game like uh, Street Fighter is the sort of background narrative that can happen in some of the stages sometimes it's a little bit more offensive than others but uh uh, (laughs) i would love to see that splatoon-esque sort of battle taking place you know in the constantly Hmm. in the background um if anything just for some you know storytelling as as you're doing your job the sad Mm -hmm. guy that's off camera (laughs) cleaning of all these uh, sections. Yeah, you know, this kind of thing is actually getting a little popular. There was that game, what is it, Viscera Cleanup Crew, uh, where you basically just play a janitor in a first-person shooter course after the after the match happens. And so you're mopping up all the blood and all the guts and everything everywhere. And I I think there are at least a couple more games that are more about cleaning than anything else. I'd almost like to see different cleaning, I hate to use the term weapons, but different cleaning tools come into effect. Like the, you know, the sponge, uh, you know, and Splatoon, <laughs> that is for splotting people with ink, but like, no, you need that to like soak up a bunch or you need uh, the mop to come in and actually clean some stuff. So it's almost like the same, maybe suite of weapons or a similar yeah, suite of yeah. weapons, but doing literally what they're supposed to do as opposed to make everything worse. I mean, you can really have correlates for pretty much everything in the main roster. So you have the ink roller which can basically just be, you know, you're on the ground just rolling everything up as you go. Yeah. Even the the sniper rifle could be some sort of a vacuum that just gets everything in a straight line for a, for a while, but doesn't have very much spread. There's a lot of options, a lot to work with there. How do you see the scoring being done? I mean, because you're not, not going to necessarily go up against somebody else who's trying to clean better than you, are you? Or is that what you think? Oh, that's a good question because I do want the splatting, the which is you know splatoon terms for like killing your opponent and any other type of shooter. Yeah, uh, to still be a component. And so what I'm thinking is that maybe you can suck up ink that goes into your backpack and then you can like bank it back at your base. And so you kind of have to like to go back to your base if you want to finally like score those points. And maybe those same kind of squid traversal mechanics can still be in place where if you have a line of ink, then you can go even faster. So that would encourage the team to work together to leave a trail of ink back to the base. You know, it might be something that the opponents could sabotage so they can leave the little bit of trail of your ink, but then, you know, kind of cut it off halfway in. And so you have Mm. to slow down there. I do like the idea of banking this ink and then seeing essentially a giant tub or like that cool transparent (laughs) tube of it fill up and so much of i mean maybe this would be bad depending on how colors are chosen but i i love always there's always two contrasting colors on every splatoon Mm -hmm. match right so the idea of it being say it's like yellow and red and for you to be like building an orangey sort of tank as you add two different Mm -hmm. colors they're mixing together and then almost (laughs) the same way that the cats are saying who got more paint it's the cats are saying whose tub is more full or something at the end (laughs) it feels like such an elegant solution to a question that already exists in that universe like 
if they're spraying paint everywhere, like why do we just boot back into this map in a couple of seconds and it's all clean already? Like who's doing this? It seems like an unsustainable sport. Oh, that's okay. So this is the official pitch. You add it in as a, for every X amount of paint you put down, you actually have to clean <laughs> Y amount of paint. It's like clean up after yourself. It's, it's Nintendo reinforcing all those good, good habits. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think also, what would be some interesting strategies that you can employ that you wouldn't in the main game? Uh, now I'm thinking, of course, the, like the ink trails to, to ride along, you know, you could probably spray ink on the ground, which would take away from the amount that you're able to deposit, which would leave it open to the opponent stealing. But if that makes you go faster, then, you know, that might be worth it. I wonder if there's maybe there needs to be some mechanic where you could destroy potential ink right like uh, whether yeah, you gonna like take it out of the game yeah exactly like a water balloon or something that would just kind of oh, dilute yeah. it or get it away from your opponent so you see them working <laughs> in one section you throw your water balloon and that helps dissolve the ink or it makes it thin it doesn't make them fast in it or something yeah yeah you could have like an ink thinner type of balloon that just makes the ink harder to suck up i guess that would probably be a thickener well you know what we can work out the thermodynamic <laughs> logistics of this later perfect <laughs> but uh something that makes their job a little slower uh, while you get in there and, and either splat them or, or sabotage their efforts somehow. So for me, when I think of any sort of janitorial thing, I feel like there's the bucket as a floor cleaning mechanic. So it's mm-hmm. almost like you can hold so much ink, right, on your right. tool, your mop or whatever. Then there's so much that can go into the bucket and then eventually the bucket itself has to get emptied. So maybe it's also a matter of if you have to manage this bucket or where this bucket is, um, your bucket could potentially be knocked over or tipped mm. by your opponent and therefore making making more of a mess or kind of re- really setting you back in terms of how, yeah. how much you've collected. Yeah. Or if it's just using the same kinds of backpacks that the regular Inklings use, then somehow making players who have spent more time on the battlefield without banking their ink more vulnerable, like making them slower or making them like glow. So everyone knows where you are, the one who has the most ink uh, on them at any given point in time, Uh, somehow, you know, making it easier for people to steal. And so it can have a little bit more back and forth like that. That sounds really, really cool. Because if you die, then everything that's on you just sprays everywhere. And let's see, this could also work in a non-Splatoon context. You know, this is all ink on the ground. It's kind of fun to suck up, but also like it could be like a solid waste type. You know what? That's not a good word for it. <laughs> solid waste means something already. Uh, I, w- I mean to say like like garbage and, uh, you know, recyclables and all sorts of things. And so you could have like a competitive like a hardcore janitorial, you know, like cleaning up something that's like really trashed, like, you know, a hotel room after a rock star is there. And so you have to juggle some sort of Katamari-like elements of what as well. So kind of like fitting all of these containers and plastic bits and uh, everything into your, your bag. I do like that if, especially if there's environment, it's not environmental puzzles, but maybe it kind of is where, the way in Splatoon, uh, a, a sponge that's in the environment with a lot of paint on it grows very, very large. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe you have to remove a certain amount of ink from something to get it down to a manageable size so that you can actually get around it and do some cleaning. So you, you have oh, yeah, yeah. like physical things in your way. They're stopping you. So it is almost a puzzle game of how to ink the most, the most quickly, but you can, you can also take on that secondary role of interfering with the enemy by going and, and doing things on their side. Now, I was also thinking about that new map on Splatoon 2 that I, I haven't been matched with yet, and that kind of bugs me. I really want to play it. The, <laughs> uh, I think it's a Santa Marina. It's a ship, basically. It's kind of like a old, not galleon necessarily, but like a, like a sailboat, like a big sailboat yeah. with multiple sails. I think it would be neat if that was one of the stages in this mode as well, but the ship was like sinking. As the ship sinks, like different portions of the boat will become flooded. And then that ink all just kind of runs off into the sea. And so if you missed that area, then it's just kind of gone. And so it focuses the attention of the players into, you know, very specific areas on the ship at at any given point in time. And so it kind of draws all of the kind of a hot spot of activity because you don't want to miss that ink. Otherwise, it's out of the game entirely. So, right. you know, just having more attention in one space at a time and drawing everybody to one place and kind of raising the chaos or giving you the opportunity to suck up ink somewhere else that isn't as uh, swarming with enemies. I love the idea of instead of the band or the captain going down with the ship, the janitor going down <laughs> with the ship. Um, but yeah, make sure just, it's spotless. <laughs> that's right. Um, and... I mean, furthermore, I I think one thing Splatoon hasn't done yet that could be an interesting mechanic uh, in perhaps a future version of it, Splatoon 3 or something, is just the fact that weather does very interesting things potentially to oh, ink. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether, you know, lightning can kind of cook it or harden it. Uh, yeah. Uh, or, you know, storm clouds could rain over sections of it. Um, to see that come into effect, maybe as you're trying to clean up, uh, could be interesting. I mean, neat. Yeah. And we could explore Splatoon forever. But <laughs> for right now, let's wrap this one up. I don't need a name of the game necessarily, but I do need a name of the mode. mode. That would be, oh, let's see. I haven't thought of anything beforehand, but let's see if we can come up with something clever. Something really like fish pun like, like Splatoon likes to do. Could you call it the refresh mode? <laughs> like, <laughs> Reef fresh, like yeah, like stay fresh, refresh. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, okay, cool. Refresh then. <laughs> refresh mode in Splatoon three. Let's talk about something else. Are you bringing us something similar or something very different? Man, maybe this has some ties into Collider. Was it Collide a lot? Yeah, Collide a lot. Yeah. So imagine in your head a platformer that. Feels something between Shovel Knight and Super Meat Boy. I know those are pretty different, Mm. but pretty hard platformer where you have a limited number of lives. Uh, When they're all gone, you lose. So very (laughs) simple setup. But Mm -hmm. here's the twist. You play a level uh, and the level has a bunch of bad guys you can't quite reach or kill and collectibles you can't quite get through or, or get to. And at any time, you can spend one of your lives to activate this cube that is like your time machine. You rewind time, and you choose where back in your replay you want to sort of drop Hmm. yourself in, and then you do, and there now is two 
of you in the level. Um, and like the new Mario Brothers, you can kind of jump on each other, you can shoot each other, use human shields, that kind of thing. Huh. Um, and the old you is playing your exact actions uh, until it reaches the point where uh, you, you jump back in time, in which case it just kind of becomes this dumb AI uh, trying to do its best version of what it thinks getting through the okay. level is. Now, you can hold down another button or activate another mode on your time machine called the Paradoxifier. <laughs> and this <laughs> will suck the copy of you back into yourself and mm-hmm. merge the realities, essentially. Now, if any one of you gets killed, you lose a life because it costs a life to create this copy. The more lives you collect, obviously, the more copies of yourself you can make. And if you use the Paradoxifier and suck yourself back in, you kind of reclaim that life. So you can imagine a jump that's like normally out of reach. Uh, You jump back in time. You jump again on your own head. (laughs) And then right before the old you perishes to its death you suck yourself up into you uh reclaim your life and you complete your satisfying long jump or jump back in time and provide yourself your own cover fire uh to escape uh enemies who are bearing down on you um or even uh when you're very low on lives you might be doing a sort of risk reward sort of system of making copies of yourself and then constantly sucking it back in at the last second because you can't afford to lose anything through a level. On the surface, punishing, platformer, but once you get into this making copies of yourself, making essentially clone armies of yourself to defeat big bosses and stuff, it feels a little bit more fair and difficulty a little bit smoother. Let's talk about that then. This has a lot of flavors of that one world in Braid where when you rewind, you have another avatar that was basically like your last playthrough and all of its actions can still trigger things in the current world and so you can use your copy to depress a button or to grab a key or something like that yeah uh, which is which is cool the thing that i typically don't like about these games of like recorded action being played back as another entity in the world you know you'll see this in like uh, ratchet and clank a crack in time i think and mm. a bunch of other games like that as well is that to set everything up sometimes you in the present need to be in a different location so there's a lot of like just standing in one place for like a minute at a time sure. while you're recording your previous gameplay to make sure that you have enough time to Uh, to hit the lever and so it's hard to kind of like coordinate timing based things but i think this is a nice solution being able to control time in this previous like recorded replay Uh, almost like hitting the fast forward on a recorded you know vhs tape or something like that and so i was thinking if to combine multiple (laughs) worlds in braid uh, if you were to maybe have the past timeline your recorded entity uh you know you can't control that one directly but maybe you could speed it up and slow it down by using the right thumbstick and so that that thumbstick is dedicated to time manipulation and oh interesting then everything else is mapped to the regular maybe even the your jump could be mapped onto a trigger so you don't have to move your thumb between the buttons and the thumbstick that's kind of fun i was also you know struggling with this idea of One of the things I feel like time manipulation games don't necessarily feel great about 
is that when you're going back in time, you're essentially changing the events of what happened, right? So I I thought it would be interesting if you, say, put yourself in a position where the old you is is hurt or dying and somehow that hurts current you, um, Hmm. or making them just immediately become an AI and perhaps do something different than what you had done before because they would right now they're living in a world where whoa there's a second me um so they would behave differently um just because you changed the events of what happened so i'm i'm trying to think of like how divergent can it get while still feeling like it's something you're in control of yeah you know that's a tight line to walk because these characters if you give them autonomy, then it's hard to place them where you need to place them. Uh, because essentially this recording is just a tool to get somewhere else. Kind of like in uh, The Useful Dead is a puzzle game where you uh, start off with like 99 little cute little animals. And basically every once in a while you have to throw one of them onto the spike so that the next one can hop on its head and get to the <laughs> next platform. And, and so basically you have like 99 tools to work with and do you just see how far in the game you get uh or games like the swapper where you have a gun that can clone yourself essentially yeah and you have to use sometimes your old body sometimes your new body to trigger buttons or you know even to throw it off of a cliff to get somewhere else um you know or even shades of uh, super mario world's integration of yoshi having to uh, drop that Just, down and hit every once in a while to get yeah. that extra jump. <laughs> yeah, poor Yoshi, always taking one for the team. Um, you know, one of the things I really love about Swapper, I wonder if it's just simply a tonal thing and it's hard to match in a more frantic style game. But the fact that there were points in the Swapper where I just had this moment where I was like, which one is the canonical me? You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> and and does it matter? Well, that's kind of what the story ends up getting into. Right. And like the horrible implications therein. You know, maybe if the paradox feels less like you absorbing the other use, or, you know, it just kind of seems like a generic merge if there's a question of like, did I kill myself? Like, is which one of me <laughs> is me? Being able to play with that stuff has always been fun. So a challenge that you're working with here with the limited life system is that you're trying to create a a puzzle game in which the puzzle elements are sometimes using these other entities to progress further in the game by jumping on their heads, by setting them up as platforms or allowing them to trigger buttons or or relievers or something. And if you have a limited life system, then you kind of are robbing yourself of knowing what resources the player has to work with at any given time. So, you know, there might be a point at which you want to create a complex puzzle that would require five or six of these clones uh, all sacrificing themselves in in some sort of order. But uh, since the player might be coming into this level with only one life left, then you have to account for that possibility and make it beatable uh, with one clone or with no clones. And so that might kind of hamper your uh, game design ability. Right. I go back and forth on that. If, if say, of course you could, try and place lives throughout levels and, and, and that sort of thing to give back. But maybe it works better if your, you know, cube is on a cooldown or something um, and you can kind of just create copies of yourself after some amount of time, though I'd hate for it to feel like, 
I gotta stop and wait here five minutes for my <laughs> all my clones to recharge or whatever. It, it is an interesting idea. Is that uh, to think maybe it's just like a story implication that every time you split yourself off, then you're becoming a little bit less. Maybe you're going a little bit more black and white or transparent, like Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future style, or maybe your character is becoming a little bit more like idiotic in the types of like dialogue that that it has oh that's uh, very good <laughs> by the end of the game it's just gibberish and now ryan you could bake in the hardcore run of the game where you lose as few lives possible and find out what the real story is yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow that that does a lot for this concept <laughs> yeah so maybe the game is always beatable but you get the sense that you're having, uh, you're getting a non-ideal ending, and maybe there are some like really clever ways to remerge with your bodies if you have to, like somehow all collect yourselves in the same spot at the end of the map to uh, reabsorb them <laughs> into your present self. Yeah, I mean, if you can design a puzzle where it doesn't necessarily matter how many copies of yourself you're creating. What the difficult aspect is, is making sure that you're doing it in such a way where you can also reclaim those copies um, yeah, is yeah. where the puzzle design could get, you know, more <laughs> intense. I guess. Ah, it's getting tricky already. I like this. <laughs> so jumping on a clone's head and, or having them uh, position themselves on a button, it's kind of the obvious thing. What else can we do with this mechanic? And uh, let's also factor in that we can rewind and fast forward time as much as we want in this alternate reality. Yeah, I do. So one of the things I thought was interesting was obviously the making a bunch of copies of yourself to do damage to like a more substantial enemy. But there's also something interesting about creating copies of yourself that are maybe stuck, maybe not, but kind of in a state where they're like shooting for some substantial amount of time to maybe disable turrets or draw fire away so that mm, you yeah. can, you know, wedge yourself in between a security system. But beyond that, I, I feel like I, I almost feel limited to things that I've seen before, and I'm struggling to, to innovate on this particular topic. I do like that idea of having to have multiple clones like stomp on an enemy's head to be able to crack through its skull or something. It's skull. That's a little dark. It's shell, maybe. <laughs> sure. That's a nicer way to put it. <laughs> like if uh, if you're going up against like a King Bowser and it has that like that shell in the back, but if you had like 12 clones all fall on it at once, then that would be enough to, to splat it or whatever. Um, and so you can have these scenarios where you create multiple clones in succession to to trigger weight traps or increase the amount of pressure, kind of like the types of puzzles that you see later in the game in uh, Inside. Inside's a really great example, yeah, where you're yeah. jumping into the helmets and saying, I need 40 of these guys to, to weigh this thing down or to cascade yeah. off of this ledge um, in just the right way to cushion my landing or something. Yeah, so maybe actually instead of recording your previous action, you're just kind of creating like Lemmings characters. And so they just infinitely repeat the thing that you were doing when you press the clone button. So if you were attacking, they just kind of infinitely attack forward. If you were running, they infinitely keep running. If you were doing a sequence of running and jumping, then they continue to do that. Uh, uh, just kind of mindlessly. But then if you touch them, you can reabsorb them. So... 
That's uh, cool. That, that might be so a way you could actually it. have like a series of guys jumping on each other in maybe even increasing heights, right? And then that's what allows yeah, you to yeah. jump on the the pyramid <laughs> of your self yeah. to get to the highest platforms. Yeah, that's cool. Well, let's close that one down. There's still plenty of uh, research on that to do. If you have anything that you would like to add to that, then please get in contact with us at PlaywrightCast on Twitter or PlaywrightCast.com where we have all of our episodes and you can leave little notes behind them if you want to uh, contribute anything to the creation process. We always greatly appreciate that. Uh, what is the title of that game? Maybe it's because I've been playing too much Sonic the Hedgehog lately, but I'm going to go for... Dr. Paradox's Miraculous Multiplier Machine. <laughs> Has a nice mean bean ring to it. <laughs> yes, it does. So our submission this week comes from Thomas Eif. I hope I'm getting that right. He writes, You are a hard light hologram. You're trapped in an underground testing facility. GLaDOS is there, maybe. But you don't get the reference since you were only born into existence five minutes ago. You have to escape this facility all the while avoiding or taking out guards. The problem is every room is blank and sparse, nowhere to hide. Or it would be a problem were it not for your newfound abilities. See, for every square meter of the facility, there exists a different light source with different colors of light. And you just so happen to be able to phase between different colors, effectively rendering you invisible at certain points on the map. The game would start off simple. One color, normal, dopey guards, but as it progresses, you unlock new colors, the map becomes more complex, and the guards have new abilities such as being able to see through light phasing with special color-coded torch. I envision this as being turn-based akin to Rogue or ADOM. Do you know what that is, H? Uh, I don't actually. Okay. Well, wait. <laughs> Thomas, please write in and tell us what ADOM is. Where as you move, so do the enemies requiring you to plan several moves ahead to avoid trouble. With the core mechanic of color switching will remain simple, the complexity will come from room layouts and enemy positions. And let's start the clock on that. Yeah, so this is cool. This has uh, certainly a, a hint of Runbow, uh, which is a, a kind of a speedrunners type game. I think speedrunners and Runbow came out at about the same time. It's a multiplayer game where you race kind of a side scroller type of platformy type of race through these environments and the background color is always changing and some multiple uh, different platforms in the environment will phase out of existence essentially when they match the background color. Yeah. So you always have to be kind of cautious of what's coming next and uh, kind of planning ahead in that regard. Uh, there's also a game called Moshi Moshi, which I really like. It's a really simple, I think it's just like a little demo thing you can get online for free. You play as this little character who shoots things like a twin stick shooter style, but the, the character is one color, the bullets are another color, and then the enemies are another color, and the background has this kind of weird spiral pattern that that phases through all three of these colors. And so at any given time, one of them is going to be invisible. And so it's all about kind of remembering where everything was and being able to kind of like position yourself despite not knowing all of the information at any given point in time, which is cool. Uh, and so taking this kind of idea into 
something that is turn-based feels like a smart addition, especially since I could see something like this working really well in the mobile space. Selfishly, I'm excited to play this on mobile, right? Where I don't know if you remember, I think there was a game, it was called Beat Sneak huh. Bandit. That sounds familiar. Was that uh, was that on 3DS? It may have been on 3DS. I played it on iPhone. Okay. And Beat Sneak Bandit was essentially a game where you had to tap the screen in time to a hmm. beat in order to make the character move. And if you tapped off of the beat, then a guard would hear you. Uh. <laughs> and, you know, the beats were synchronized to lights turning on and off that would detect you or a guard turning around on, you know, a specific mark. I'm imagining this as a potentially that sort of 2D feeling kind of thing. At first, I was thinking this is almost like one of the Laura Croft or Hitman Go games. Yeah. But I think it would be very interesting, you know, especially in a 2D colorful environment to see yourself kind of move into a light and you've, you know, learn the lights pattern. So, you know, you've got like three seconds of safety because you're red and the light is red and the, that guard is going to turn around in three yeah, seconds yeah. and not be able to see you. That's it. That's the piece that I was missing because I was thinking, you know, this makes sense as like a grid based thing. And I was just thinking like, well, if the floor is different colors, then mm -hmm. you would just transform into that color when you move into that space. Like, where is the challenge in that? But with the addition of moving lights and, uh, you know, kind of like uh, searchlights, like you would find in a prison or in a museum if you're performing a heist or something like that, mm -hmm. or military base or whatever. That sense of movement does add quite a bit to the required strategy here. I love the idea of a light being able to affect the hologram or, or tint you a certain shade and then say, I have to get to the section with the, you know, yellow heat lamps or whatever yeah. so that can turn me yellow and then i can sneak past this guard that has a yellow flashlight oh interesting so right. almost like you are like a chameleon or you're using that suit from uh, metal gear solid 4 that kind of absorbs color and yeah. so you have to touch a color and then you can be that color in any later situation maybe mm -hmm. or if you have kind of freedom to switch on will as the lights move around, then they could cross paths and create kind of an interstitial color in between. And kind of like a red and yellow light could create an orange space. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially if you did some system where obviously with primary colors, if a, if a red passes through or, you know, a red passes through a, a yellow or a blue passes through a yellow and that if you moved through it quickly, you were a little green and you were yeah. tinting yourself likewise. But obviously the difficulty and the complexity, as Thomas was outlining, can be ramped up based on just what color flashlights are the guards using versus what type of guard it is slash what their behavior is. And then where you actually access the ability to transform into those colors. I was just thinking of something almost unrelated. And so, you know, this probably wouldn't work in this scenario, but it'd be kind of funny if the background tiles, uh, the, the colors weren't just one color. You had like two colors, uh, but each of the backgrounds had uh, like wallpaper patterns. And so the color that you were, you had to like using a connect or something like position your body. So it kind of aligns with the wallpaper pattern and hold the pose <laughs> for a while while the guard walks by. Perfect. 
Did you play Until Dawn? I've played a bit of it. I, I still need to go back and finish that one up, though. There is a great mechanic where I, it's used <laughs> more at the end of the game, but they essentially make you hold the controller completely still. Yeah. And I do like the idea of even if you are a, you know, a hologram and you're maybe more difficult to see with the naked eye when a guard is got their light on you that you do have to maintain a sense of stillness because if you just try and continue to proceed, they'll be able to see almost like, you know, I hate to use this nerdy reference, but like a cloaking device on a Klingon ship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if When you see it moving, you can kind of see it like the predator, I guess is a better, yeah. more popular example. Um, <laughs> Whatever. This sort Star of Trek's like... <laughs> pretty mainstream these days. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. We do have the ability, if this was like a mobile game to implement something like that, because phones all have accelerometers, but I feel like that would be a little a little prohibitive for people who play on the bus <laughs> or something, which is, I'd say, most people playing games. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Maybe you could do it based on, like, tilt or something, something that's a little easier to control or more forgiving. You know, maybe tilting the phone in different directions would trigger the different colors, uh, almost kind of like tilting your mirror to reflect different lights, but this isn't super accessibility-minded friendly. And it's not applicable to people who are, you know, playing in bed and they have the phone over their head and they don't want to be tilting it in all different directions that reduces visibility. So it introduces a whole host of problems, but maybe it's kind of like additional options that people could enable if they want to just for a little bit of extra fun in ideal conditions. Yeah. And I could even imagine this thing. I I know Thomas has talked about it being a turn-based sort of experience, but I could even imagine a world where, say, this does well, you get a AAA sequel and you've got the full sort of Sam Fisher suite of, yeah. <laughs> of gadgets in terms of what you're able to transform into or, you know, guards are aware of the noise that you make in addition to uh, your ability to transform, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I do want to explore more games about transforming into characters and and taking on their physical likenesses those aspects of hitman and uh, destroy all humans and prototype are always really interesting and i really like that but you know i feel like that's uh, we can go an entirely different direction with that um yeah. but uh for now let's uh let's close the book on this this one's i i feel like we're at a good place with this and it's at least a little bit more to think about as we throw it back to the community to take it farther than we could. <laughs> so Thomas's title that he gives us for this one, I really like. It's called Rainbow Gear. Rainbow A weapon gear. to surpass Metal Gear. <laughs> Rainbow Gear. Very good. Good David Hayter, by the way. Do you think <laughs> the, you. do you think the illness helps with that? It might. <laughs> H, thank you for surviving with us post-pax, and uh, I think I think you did a fine job this week. Oh, well, thank you. I think I'm going to go melt into a puddle of mucus. <laughs> and I'm going to melt because it is 700 degrees here, so we're both melting. Goodbye, Fine, everybody. Well, <laughs> we will be puddles next week. Our theme song is composed by Protodome. It's called Hello World from the album Blue Noise. And remember, you can listen to every episode from the show at playwrightcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at playwrightcast as well. 
And hey, if you go to Playwright Cast, you can click on Pitch and send us your idea for a video game, just like Thomas did this week. We will read one of those every week, and we will spend a few minutes discussing it and seeing, uh, taking it apart, building it up, see what we can do with it. So, Q, do you have a final idea to take us out of the show today? A nature hiking simulator where you can catalog plants and wildlife. We will see you all next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.